And welcome into the Locked On Predators podcast. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas day. I hope Santa was good to all of you boys and girls and brought you everything that your little heart desired, unless you did not make the nice list, in which case you got nothing but coal, and I hope you use that coal in some way that is very productive to us as a society. Merry Christmas, Merry Post-Christmas. The Predators are off today. They've been off to 24th, 25th, and 26th. They'll be back at it tomorrow against the Pittsburgh Penguins at home before they play against the Pittsburgh Penguins on the road Saturday night. And then it's the game you've all been waiting for on New Year's Day, the Winter Classic. I'll be live in Dallas doing the show from Dallas next week. So really looking forward to that and everything that's going to be surrounding the Winter Classic next week in Dallas. So make sure you're tuned in to Locked On Predators all next week. We've got some really cool stuff coming up for you then. You know, the decade is coming to a close. The 2010s are about to be no more. The 2020s are about to begin. And because of that, I want to kind of take a quick look back at the decade that was for the Nashville Predators. What I like to call it is the Predators during this past decade kind of graduated from that cute little expansion team that was working as hard as they could to what now is a perennial challenger for the playoffs and certainly Uh, a challenger for the Stanley Cup, specifically the last few years. So I want to start back, way back in 2011, when the Predators won the playoffs, won a playoff series against the Anaheim Ducks for the first time. That was the first playoff series win. I think up until that point, they had lost to Detroit twice. They had lost to the San Jose Sharks twice and lost the year before to the Chicago Blackhawks all in the first round. So they had never won a playoff series until 2011, Uh, When that team beat the Anaheim Ducks in the first round, the Ducks were the favorites heading into that series, and the Predators were able to get it done in six games. And I still, I think back to that game, and it's kind of sort of reminiscent of the Game 6 win in 2017 when the Predators beat the Ducks. From the standpoint of this, it was by no means as impactful, but I say that because of this. I was there that day uh, when the Predators beat the Ducks in 2011 to move on to the second round. And just the raw emotion from the fan base in the crowd. I mean, there were people crying. There were people hugging each other. Because I think they got to a point where they weren't sure if they were ever going to see the Predators win a playoff series. So it was a really cool environment, a really cool moment, I think, in the history of the franchise. That if you're a recent Predators fan, you probably have uh, no memory of or no recollection of. And it was, you know, that Predators team in 2011 really wasn't all that great. Shea Weber and Pekka Rene basically drugged that team along with them. I think they got Mike Fisher that year at the trade deadline as well. But that that series win in Game 6 against the Anaheim Ducks at home, I think was a really cool moment, and that launched the Predators into this decade, really, of being a really competitive hockey team for the most part. The next year, of course, uh, was 2012, where they played really well during the regular season, had a loaded team heading into the playoffs. They beat the Detroit Red Wings in five games in the first round of the playoffs that year, which, of course, if you've played attention to the Predators and been around for long enough, you know that the Red Wings used to be the chief rival uh, to the Predators, and they were able to get rid of them and and dispatch of them in five games in the playoffs. So uh, a really cool moment for them there. A little bit disappointing how that that season ended. Uh, Of course, you know Alex Radulov and Andre Kostitsin and the drama that was in Arizona in the second round and the suspensions and everything that kind of happened after that. Uh, Arizona, or they were then Phoenix. Phoenix won that series in five games uh, against the Predators team that I thought really could have done some damage. Maybe not have gone all the way to the Cup final. I don't know if anybody was going to stop the role that the Los Angeles Kings were on that year. 
but certainly I think could have done some damage and made it at least to the Western Conference Final had they played up to their capabilities that year. And then there was the summer of 2012 and the summer of a, a big event in losing Ryan Suter to free agency, but a lot of people forget it could have been even bigger that summer. Ryan Suter uh, walked out the door, uh, went to the Minnesota Wild in free agency. A lot of people still boo him every time he comes back. And I mean, I, I, I understand it, but the, the other part of me also doesn't understand it because I think the Predators uh, really walked away shining in that deal. I mean, Ryan Suter's a great player. I think he's a borderline Hall of Fame defenseman. But the Predators, I think, as a whole, well, we're better off from that. They struggled the next year in 2013. That's not all because of Ryan Suter. Uh, there were certainly different things that factored into that. But I think Suter's departure was a big part of it. And by a result of that, they ended up getting Seth Jones uh, with the fourth overall pick of the draft, which eventually turned into Ryan Johansson, who, by the way, was a gigantic part of the run the Predators were able to make in the 2017 playoffs. So losing Ryan Suter, if you follow kind of the timeline of events, uh, that happened after that certainly wasn't a great thing to lose him, but I think the Predators came out on the other side of it about as well as you could have possibly hoped because I think a lot of people thought that after they lost Ryan Suter, that might set the franchise back a very long time, and it did not. I, I think uh, it certainly didn't help it at the time, but the Predators were able to get through it a lot quicker than most people thought. That same summer, Shea Weber signed an offer sheet uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers um, and I remember sitting in my bed, I think like, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I saw on Twitter that Shea Weber signed an offer sheet with the Flyers. And my first thought was, okay, well, there's no way that's true. And then I actually clicked on it and I was like, oh, that is true. Holy crap. So I, you know, you were going through a situation where they had just lost Ryan Suter. You thought to yourself, oh my goodness, if they lose Ryan Suter and lose Shea Weber in the same offseason, this team is going to be up a creek. For a long time. Of course, we know the Predators matched the offer sheet with Shea Weber. A lot of people, I think, kind of fault Weber for that and, you know, give him grief of, you know, he didn't want to be in Nashville. He didn't want to do all this other stuff. Do I think he would have been fine with leaving Nashville at that point to go play in Philadelphia? Yes. Do I think he signed the offer sheet because he was that ready to get out of Nashville? No. I think he signed the offer sheet because he was like, you're going to pay me how much money to play hockey? You're going to sign me to how long of a contract? Sure, I'll sign it. I don't care where it is. I'll go play uh, in you know Antarctica if I need to, to to go sign that contract. So I think sometimes from Predators fans, Shea Weber gets a little unfair, uncharacteristically and unfairly criticized over that decision. You put that contract in front of me, I'll sign it. I don't care where it is. I'll go play. That was a big summer for the Predators in 2012. You moved ahead to the next year, the locked-out shortened year of 2012-2013. Obviously, a really bad season for the Predators that year. A bunch of different things went wrong. They ended up with a fourth overall pick in the draft the following year. Colorado was at number one. They chose Nathan McKinnon. I think Florida was number two uh, with Alexander Barkov. Tampa Bay at number three with Jonathan Druin. And then the Predators basically had Seth Jones fall in their lap after that at number four, which they did not expect to happen. Seth Jones stuck around for a couple years and then ultimately was traded uh, for Ryan Johansson. 2013-14, you had Barry Trotz's final year with the Nashville Predators. They missed the playoffs uh, by a few points. Pecorine was hurt for a large portion of that year, so the Predators were never really able to gain much traction during that season uh, with the goaltender missing the majority of that year. Uh, but I think at that point, the Predators it was and, and Barry Trotz, it was just kind of time for a new voice in that locker room. You know, Barry Trotz had been there since 1998, he lasted all the way to 2014. That's a heck of a run 
with one franchise, especially in today's day and age of the modern sports world. So that was kind of the Barry Trotz era of this decade. Missed the playoffs two years in a row uh, in his final two seasons with the Nashville Predators. And then, of course, we know after that the Predators decided to go in a different direction and hire Peter Laviolette, who is obviously still the coach to this day. So we'll get into the Peter Laviolette era right now. So the Predators hired Peter Laviolette to be their head coach before the 2014-15 season, and it started off with a bang. A lot of people don't remember the Predators uh, were among the best teams in the NHL for the first half of the season and were really playing some good hockey. You had Mike Ribeiro in there. Philip Forsberg had his breakout rookie campaign. A lot of really good things happening for the Predators. Roman Yossi and Shea Weber were playing at a very high level. You had Seth Jones on the roster and, of course, a younger Matthias Ekholm and Ryan Ellis as well. A lot of talent on that team. They started off hot, and then the trade deadline came along. And it wasn't necessarily just because of a result of the trading deadline. I think a lot of different factors went into it, but the Predators traded uh, for Cody Franzen and Mike Santarelli, I believe from the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time, and it just didn't work out. You know, Cody Franzen, his minutes were cut almost in half going from Toronto to the Nashville Predators. He did not, he did not play particularly well during his time with the Predators. Mike Santarelli was basically a no-show that entire year with the Predators since he was traded from the deadline. He got matched up in the first round against the eventual Stanley Cup champion Chicago Blackhawks that season. It was actually a heck of a series. The Predators had a couple different opportunities to take control of that series, including in Game 1 where they lost in overtime. I think they got up 3 to nothing in the first period of that game, and then Chicago was able to fight back and ultimately win that game. And then the Predators, I think in Game 4, lost in triple overtime in Chicago. So a couple back-and-forth games, but that's what championship teams are made of. That's what the Blackhawks were able to do was come out on the right end of both of those games, and that ultimately was the difference in the series. Shea Weber got hurt in that series with what I will never forget this medical term, quote-unquote, a subluxed kneecap, which is basically a very fancy way of saying he dislocated his knee. I think Mike Fisher was also out uh, during that series as well. So some tough injuries the Predators had to deal with and to fight to overcome. I thought the young Predators core, a lot of which still remains to this day, did a really good job of fighting through that. But ultimately, they just didn't have enough firepower uh, to beat the Chicago Blackhawks that year. Fast forward to the next year uh, where the Predators are are kind of fighting through and kind of just dragging their feet a little bit. And then they make a trade, Seth Jones, for Ryan Johansson. And Ryan Johansson comes in and sparks the offense. The Predators uh, go on a run in the second half of the season. They end up uh, playing in Anaheim in the first round and jump out and lead that series 2-0 on the road, winning both games on the road, come back and lose, I think, three games in a row after that. They're down 3-2 in the series, come back to win that series. Their first ever Game 7 in a playoff series, they win it. They force another Game 7 in the second series against the San Jose Sharks. A couple overtime wins in there, some very dramatic wins for the Predators in that series. I remember being at Bridgestone Arena until like 1.45 in the morning, uh, when Mike Fisher scored that goal or whatever time it was, it seemed like I was there for an eternity. Uh, but what a, what a series that was. Predators ultimately lost it in seven games. And little did we know at the time that was going to be the last time we saw Shea Weber in a Nashville Predators uniform. He would be traded later that summer, that summer of 2016, June the 29th of 2016, uh, for P.K. Subban. And I remember exactly what I was doing that day. It was they had just drafted Dante Fabro 
and I was at a development camp that day, and I was doing this nice story on Dante Fabro about, you know, he grew up a Predators fan because he was able to watch Shea Weber, and he's from the same area of the of Canada that Shea Weber is from, and Shea Weber was his idol. Did this really nice story about Dante Fabro looking up to Weber and how maybe one day they'd play together and they'd be teammates and all that jazz. Just a great story. And it was up for, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes on NHL.com. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting at Five Guys Burgers and Fries in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I'm eating this nice, juicy burger. It's so good. I've got the French fries that go along with it that, for those of you who have been to Five Guys, know if you order a small French fry, it's basically an entire bag full of French fries. And I'm sitting there just really enjoying myself, enjoying the, the hard work I've put in for the day, writing one lousy article. All of a sudden, I look at my phone, and it says, Taylor Hall has been traded to the New Jersey Devils for Adam Larson. One-for-one one trade. And I was like, oh, wow, how about that? That's a pretty big deal. That's a big trade. And then, like, I don't know, five, six minutes later, I look down at my phone, and Nick Kiprios has tweeted out that Shea Weber has been traded to the Montreal Canadiens for P.K. Subban. And I'm like, well, that's got to be a fake account. Let me click on this again. And I clicked on it, and it was not a fake account. It was definitely Nick Kiprios. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. My time at Five Guys is over with. I've got the dispatch of this burger. I have to get back in my car and drive all the way down to Bridgestone Arena. I got about three or four calls from three or four different bosses at NHL.com asking me if I had seen it. I said, yes, I have seen it. I am on my way down to Bridgestone Arena for the eventual conference call with P.K. Subban in a trade that still to this day, I think, is one of the biggest one-for-one trades in the history of the National Hockey League. It was just such a, a weird time to see Shea Weber traded and to see him go to Montreal, but it was also an exciting time just to be in the business, and, and especially my business when you're a sports writer and you're looking for interesting things. Uh, that day was about as interesting as it gets in the history of this franchise in terms of just the shock factor, the wow factor, and uh, just the content of what was going on there. The things were going on. There were you know radio stations from Montreal trying to get in on a conference call, uh, that were all speaking French. You couldn't understand what they were saying. And they were c- talking over people. I think the, the radio broadcast was actually on the conference call and it had to be cut off. So the conference call ended up just being with the local media in Nashville. It was just a crazy day. Fast forward, obviously, uh, to the run in 2017, who I, which I want to get into in detail. Because if you ask me, uh, that run in, during the playoffs in 2017, obviously, uh, was the highlight of the decade for the Nashville Predators. It's been the highlight in the history of their franchise. And I just want to kind of reminisce on that for a second because I think when we look back and at the history of the Nashville Predators, there will be a lot of different things during this decade that we take a look at. But I think that one, that, that playoff run in 2017, is really going to be what, what most people remember about this decade for the Nashville Predators. So I want to talk about that. So the run in 2017 to the Stanley Cup Final I just remember how crazy it was, and I can almost recount every detail of it like it was yesterday, just because I remember heading into the first series against the Chicago Blackhawks, I was thinking to myself, this is just not a good matchup for them. You know, the Blackhawks were rolling. They still looked like the Chicago Blackhawks who were winning championships left and right, and I thought to myself, man, the Predators, I think, have finally started to figure it out. It's a shame they have to go up against Chicago in the first round. And I even said at the time, I'm picking Chicago to win this series, but I said, but I want to throw a disclaimer in there. Whoever wins this series, I think, will represent the Western Conference in the Stanley Cup Final. I said that while fully expecting Chicago to still win, 
But I, in the back of my mind, I thought this Predators team has the talent this year to get it done. And boy, did we see that from the opening jump of the playoffs. Got up and, and won the game, game one in Chicago, uh, where Chicago got their chances in that game. Pecorino played extremely well. And you thought to yourself, okay, well, there's a, there's a game your goaltender sold for you. Let's see what happens now from now on and if the Predators can get it back here uh, 1-1. Maybe they steal another one on the road and get back 2-0. Not only did they steal one on the road, they totally destroyed the block the Blackhawks in game two of that series. Got up 2-0, came back, and I knew at that time, if they if they end up going up three games to none in this series and are able to win game three, this thing is over. It was a back-and-forth game. I think the Predators were down in that game, were able to tie the game in the third period, and then Kevin Fiala ultimately won it in overtime uh, of game three and you could just kind of tell uh, if you looked at the Blackhawks after that after that game and some of the interviews they were doing you could just kind of tell on their face that they knew it was over at that time which of course it was the Predators won in game four to complete the sweep in one of the most raucous environments I've ever been a part of uh, just watching that game from Bridgestone Arena it was a crazy crazy time fast forwarded to the to the second round against the St. Louis Blues uh, I was there for every game of that series both in St. Louis and in Nashville, I thought the Predators played extremely well in that series. Probably should have won that series in five games. Ultimately won it in six. Uh, just an all-around really good performance from the Predators. Pecorino was outstanding uh, during that series. Uh, and the Predators were just a better team against the Blues in the second round. And then, of course, the series with the Ducks, who was just it was just so up and down with emotion. You go up and you win the game, uh, I think in overtime in game one, to take a one nothing lead. On a, on a game-winning goal by James Neal on the road in Anaheim. You get up in game two, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, they're about to steal both games in game two. Anaheim ultimately came back and won that game. You get back, and it's 2-2 two to two after four games in the series, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, the Predators are still in a pretty good position. They've proven they can go into Anaheim and win games. And then all of a sudden on the travel day in between games four and five, you look down, and you're like, wait a minute. What did I just say? What did I just read? Ryan Johansson out for the remainder of the playoffs. Mike Fisher uh, out for game five due to, uh, I believe he was dealing with a concussion at the time. And you were thinking to yourself then, if you were honest, probably most Predators fans were thinking, okay, it's been a fun ride. It's been a nice run. But it's going to be really hard for the Predators to beat the Ducks uh, in, in the, for the remainder of this series without Ryan Johansson and Mike Fisher. And then what do they do? They go out and win game five and come back in game six uh, against the Ducks at home. And I still think game six of the Western Conference Final was the most memorable game in the history of the Predators franchise. I know they played in Stanley Cup Final games after that. I know they won two Stanley Cup Final games at home, which were certainly memorable, certainly raucous environments. But just the way that game went down in game six, the Predators jumping out to an early lead. Anaheim eventually fighting their way back to tie the game in the third period, and then Colton Sissons completing the hat trick. People were just going crazy. I mean, strangers were hugging strangers. People were crying. Uh, people were jumping up and down with uncontrollable joy. You could see the the kind of the live shots on the streets outside, whether it was outside Bridgestone Arena, over there in the hotel, in the, in the plaza next to it, on Broadway. The people were everywhere. And it really didn't matter if you knew much about hockey or if you could tell – the difference between a blue line and a closed line, like Al Michaels said uh, before the game of the Miracle on Ice, it really just brought the city together. And I think watching the Predators advance to the Stanley Cup Final 
uh, for the first time in team history. I remember being downstairs and watching Brent Peterson, a longtime coach uh, for the Nashville Predators, just be in tears, hugging David Poyle. David Poyle in tears, hugging players. Like it was just, it was one of those scenes and one of those emotions and just being able to witness it that you never forget. I mean, the, the mood in that locker room after the game, it was just complete and utter joy. And then you get to the Stanley Cup final and you drop the first two games at Pittsburgh, win two games uh, at home in front of just crazy environments. I remember being uh, before game three and just kind of looking out and taking in the scene of thousands upon thousands of people uh, out on Broadway with Alan Jackson out there singing and just a bunch of different things going on. It was just a crazy environment, unlike I think the NHL had ever seen before up until that point. So just a crazy run in 2017. Ultimately, they lost, obviously, in six games to the Penguins in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, but I think that run and, and how it brought the city together and really how it changed the dynamic of hockey forever in Nashville is going to be remembered for a very, very long time. So to me, that's kind of the highlight uh, of this decade. There's a bunch of things that have happened since. They won a President's Trophy, uh, won a Central Division two times in a row. They're still trying to find their way so far this season and see if they can make another deep run that I think this city uh, desperately craves. But just looking back at this past decade, it's been one heck of a decade for Nashville Predators hockey. I think Predators fans hope the best is still yet to come in the decade ahead, and we'll see if this team this year uh, can start the process of that, if they can figure it out, make the playoffs, and maybe have what it takes uh, to make a deep run starting in 2020. We'll just have to see. We're back at it tomorrow. Uh, the Predators back at home against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I'll have a show for you tomorrow, another Locked On Predators show uh, tomorrow where we'll break down the game, what we've seen uh, in morning skate, and kind of take a look at the week ahead, uh, including the weekend matchup on Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. As always, this is Locked On Predators Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, I am Robbie Stanley, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.